2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, and represent us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, this passage Now, in the Gospel of Mark, the length of the narrative, we're halfway through. But as far as the apostles' experience and Jesus' public ministry with them, we're probably, of the three or three and a half years, we're probably two and a half to three years through. This is the halfway point in the narrative, but it is far more than the halfway point in their walk with Jesus. And he is about to shock them. He is about to shock them with new revelation. Chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now let's stop here for just a moment because this is actually (laughs) captures in an encapsulated statement what Jesus has done, what he's 
much of what he has accomplished among the people, but it also describes a problem that has arisen. How, do, how does the public understand Jesus and who he is and what he is supplying to the people? They principally understand him as the healer. <laughs> they are coming from every direction to him, bringing people who need healing, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the mute, the lepers, He's raised the dead and the people are coming to him and very often he has told people whom he has healed. Now don't tell anybody why. He doesn't want people coming to him principally for health reasons, physical health reasons. He wants them coming to him for spiritual health reasons. He has been speaking out great wisdom. He's been speaking out God's, the message of God's merciful truth to them. He's been speaking this out. John the Baptist came. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They understood being Jews, or having been even Gentiles exposed to Jewish understanding, they understand the coming of that great kingdom expressed by the Hebrew prophets is there's going to be a time of great judgment followed by a time of great glory. John the Baptist portrayed the time of judgment. That's why he was out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and wearing sacks. <laughs> he was portraying the lifestyle of an Israel under judgment. And yet there was an enormous response to him. People came from Jerusalem, Judea, all over the, and they repented and he baptized them. And then Jesus came forth. And he has been eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's been He's been displaying the, the glory of the coming kingdom. And he is, unlike John the Baptist, who did no miracles, Jesus has been doing probably tens of thousands of miracles. We don't know how many. Our Bibles would probably be two feet thick if, if we had the record of all of them. This is what the apostles have been exposed to. They've seen this, the people. But Jesus' principal purpose is to come with the message about his coming glorious work. And he heals this man. And then we have this episode. Now, what, the first thing I would like to address, well, let me go ahead and read the passage. Verse 27 now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Now in Matthew's rendition of this same episode, Peter's words are, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Christ. Then he, Jesus, strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now let's stop for just a moment. Let's look at this from the standpoint of God the Father and God the Son. Then we will look at it from the standpoint of the apostles. 
and then from the standpoint of us for whom this was written. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they are one God who is three persons. They are perfectly, completely united in their outlook, in their capacities, in their heart's desire. They are all, they love mercy. They are loving. They are patient. They are kind. They are gentle. They are absolutely unrestrained to the sovereign. They have all knowledge. They, have, they are everywhere present. And God the Father sent God the Son to pay sin's penalty for the human race. Ladies and gentlemen, we will never understand the torment of our Lord that he experienced on the cross. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son chose to obey God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit sustained the entire process. They are united together in fulfilling this purpose of enabling mercy to be granted to a wicked human race. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son came. He knows what he's going, what awaits him. And he does it. Then he calls these 12 apostles, and there are many, 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 many other disciples too, by the way, walking along the road with them. We find this out in the book of Acts when they're selecting the replacement for Judas Iscariot. There's this huge list of people who were there from the beginning to the end that we never even heard of. <laughs> there they are. But what does this mean for the disciples? What have these men that Jesus is speaking to as they walk along the road, what have they already done in their loyalty to God's Son, who has called them. They have left behind their trades. The fishermen, all these tradesmen, Matthew the tax collector, that was a pretty lucrative way of making a living, folks. They left that behind to follow Jesus on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day meeting their, their needs being met, their needs being met, their needs being met. We already had this episode where Jesus feeds the 4,000, and then they're crossing the, uh, and with what, seven loaves of bread, feeds 4,000, and then they're crossing in a boat, and they only have one loaf of bread. And oh, Jesus is going to be really upset when he finds out we've only got one loaf of bread to feed the guys on this boat. And he's like, how many loaves did you have that we fed 4,000 with? How many loaves did you have that we fed 5,000 I think one loaf <laughs> is enough. Hello, guys. Have you ever been able to put two and two together <laughs> about me? But these men have sacrificed a lot in order to follow Jesus and daily, day after day after day, that day's provision has been met by that, that day's need had been, has been met by that day's provision. They walked with Jesus. They have sacrificed. And then here we have this great, okay, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are that son of David who has the right to the throne. 
the Son of God, and they are getting... It took them a long time to stretch their minds and hearts around that, out to that reality. It took them a long time. Peter professes this on behalf of all of them. They're all in agreement with this. They've sacrificed. God, Jesus is sacrificed. They've sacrificed. And now he calls them to a an increased sacrifice. You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Son of Man is their favorite term for Messiah. It's from Daniel chapter 7. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He begins to tell them this. I cannot even imagine, after two plus years of walking with him, going through all, that he would now disclose to them this shocking reality that, will soon take place. This completely blows up, to a large large extent, it blows up their idea of what comes. Their idea is kingdom glory is coming. And now he says, okay, this fellow that you're following is going to be betrayed. You must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests, described, be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. They all hear it. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. We didn't sign up for this. What are you talking about? Whoa, you're changing the contract. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You ever tried to rebuke God? Not a good idea. Now, by the way, the God of patience will hear you and then quietly, most of the time, quietly set you straight. But when he turned around, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around, he, Jesus, had turned around and looked at his disciples who are all hearing what Peter is saying. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Can there be a greater punch to the face than that? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Why can Jesus accurately say to Peter, Get behind me, Satan? Let me tell you, the number one opponent of Jesus' crucifixion, although it's insane, and we'll get into this later in, John, in, Matthew, in Mark's gospel, but Satan doesn't want our sins to be paid for. He doesn't want a, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That would completely break his power. Get behind me, Satan. 
for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You could not have punched Peter in the face verbally any more powerfully than Jesus does right then. But all of those other apostles are standing shoulder to shoulder with Peter. As he's speaking it out, they're all thinking the same thing. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to go through this. And now he actually makes it harder on them. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Okay? They already have to a large extent, but now he is doubling down. He is really stacking the chips. <sighs> let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He could not have stated his discipleship demands for them and in any any more repulsive way. They had probably all, at one time or another, witnessed a crucifixion. When the Romans crucified people, they, did, they deliberately did it in as public a place as possible, so as many eyes as possible would see it. Why? Because it was meant to frighten, threaten anybody who would conceive of rebelling. And Jesus says, take up your cross. And crucifixion was normally a three or four day event as the people were left there in agony at the side of the road. Take up your cross. If anyone, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, turn away completely from his own life agenda. Take up his cross and follow me. He could not have been stating it in a more repulsive way. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Oh, wait a minute. There's a promised positive outcome. Am I asking you to invest your life for the kingdom, the sake of my glory and the kingdom's glory? Yes, I am. Let me tell you what. You will share in the glory. You will share in the glory. You remember the episode of the rich young ruler, the, the fine fellow that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, how about keeping the commandments of God? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself and keep the tank. Oh, I've been doing all that for years and years and years. I got that covered. Okay, do this. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And that is young man walked away sorrowing because he had great wealth. Ooh, that's too high a price to pay. And he went away sorrowing. Jesus is asking the same thing of his disciples. But what's he saying? Outrageous kingdom glory awaits you. There is a payday someday. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, his own life agenda, and take up his cross and follow me. 
for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. What I'm actually telling you to do is wise. Because you can't, the things of this world, you're going to lose them. Where it loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's actually a good investment scheme. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. When I come, you don't want me to be ashamed of you. You want me to gladly, happily, with a smile on my face, be pouring out reward. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this generation, this human culture that is as contrary to the kingdom of God as it can be, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man, the Messiah, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We're told in both First and Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment for purposes of reward. The judgment of the saints for purposes of reward. And there will be some who will be there who will receive no reward. And there are others who will be there. We're talking about on top of this basic kingdom glory package, extra rewards. Are you going to invest in that promised coming kingdom? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. For Jesus, he sacrificed kingdom glory to become our servant, patience penalty for us. For the apostles, they've already walked away from a lot. He's asking even more of them. And they struggle with it big time. And what about us? We have the same message spoken to us that was spoken to them. As we are reading this over the shoulder of the apostles, what is our how tight a grip do we have on our earthly treasures? Do we hold the things of this world loosely or do we grip them tight? Hold the things of this world loosely so that you may have a tight grip on God's kingdom promises, which when they come, they will have come forever and they will it will be immeasurable glory we will look back at the wealthiest people who ever walked this planet from the human standpoint and we will look back on them with pity <laughs> because the glory that awaits God's people we can't even we don't even have the frame of reference now it's interesting chapter and why I the passage we're going through chapter 9 verse 1 it's all red letters and he said to them, 
same episode. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I'm going to do a display for some of you who are here that's going to give you a glimpse of kingdom glory. And next week we will be looking at that episode when Jesus is transfigured on the mount. Peter, James, and John go up on this mountain and Jesus is transfigured before they see unrestrained glory. They see all this glory. He is transfigured before them and he's radiating light. He's dressed in white and Moses and Elijah are there. They get, those three men get a glimpse of the promised glory. God isn't lying to us, ladies and gentlemen. He's telling us the truth. The glory that is to come is beyond measure and it will be eternal. Whatever sacrifice you make here is simply pocket change compared to the glory God purposes to pour out on us. Because, do you know what? God loves us. What? <laughs> God loves us. There are a few people here that have uh, grandchildren. Do you have any problem, Bob, uh, giving candy to your grandkiddos? Do you have any problem sugaring them up and then sending them home? No. God loves us unrestrained and the day is coming when we won't even have a fallen nature to hinder him from spoiling us. he won't be, no matter how he pours out kingdom glory on us it won't spoil us so he can be unrestrained that's what awaits us ladies and gentlemen when it happens it will have happened how for how long forever that sound like a plan our lord Left to ourselves, we are absolute fools. But thank you that you and your mercy did not leave us to ourselves. You granted us your word. You granted us the enabling understanding that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit who caused the words to be penned, but he's also at our shoulder giving us understanding. Lord, thank you for reaching off the page and laying hold of us. And please enable us by the power and wisdom of your Holy Spirit to reach forward and lay hold of your word. It is for us. May we walk in your wisdom today, willing to sacrifice our life plans for your kingdom plan, knowing that kingdom glory awaits. You've granted us that incentive. We give you thanks. Please enable us to walk in your wisdom. We ask this of you, finest of shepherds, Lord Jesus Christ, present with us at all times. Amen. going to invite you to stand and we will close with the perfectly